Amused Boosh is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network. Listen to your city at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. If we believe in that wine, mm. and we believe in the people behind that wine, and the history and the culture and the roots, literal and figurative mm. for that wine, why would we possibly want to present it in a way that wasn't the best? Hi everyone, my name is Jen. My name's Abby. And this is Amused Boosh. Hey Abby. Hey Jen. You know how you have go-to places in Charlotte that like every time you go, no matter what it's for, date night, girls night, random. Hard work day night. Hard work day, teen dinner, whatever it is. Birthday. Several locations all over town. Yep. Like tried and true. Yeah. Today, we are welcoming one of my like tried and true Charlotte go-tos. Mine too. Absolutely. Foxcroft Wine. Foxcroft Wine Company. Sean Paul, hey. welcome to the stew. What a great intro. Thank you so much. I'm glad that uh, Foxcroft can figure in uh, in your go-to places. Oh, man. it. And every time I go, I, I think I try something different, and I'm never disappointed. So I think that's, especially when it's a go-to, sometimes you want to go and have the same thing sure. every time. But I think the menus are just so diverse that I, I always have like FOMO if I get the same thing. I mean, look, time. I'm not even going to argue. I'm always getting truffle fries and Brussels sprouts like <laughs> every right. time. And it's always worth it. That is exactly what we're striving for every time at every location when we open a Foxcroft Wine Company. It's, you know you can rely on an experience that you're going to have. What you have in particular might be different one day or one visit to the next, mm-hmm. but the quality and the and the focus on the wine, the quality and the focus on handmade ingredients, that's going to follow through wherever you are. So it really, it's really a pleasure to hear you say that. Yes. So. <laughs> I'm not even paid by you. Yeah. Yeah. No. Although we can talk yeah, about it. I'll, yeah, we can I'll absolutely. Fed by us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is true. <laughs> I'm going to my hands are tight. Yeah. Um, but we'll get to the details about Foxcroft uh, shortly because you guys have a lot of cool stuff going on. Maybe some new places going yes. in around town. Spoiler alert. But Sean Paul, you are the wine operations director for yes. Foxcroft here in Charlotte. But you've alluded in just in conversation with us that you did not start here. No, I didn't. So I'm I'm tremendously um, blessed to be this to do, to do what I do here in yeah. Charlotte. So to, I oversee the Foxcroft Wine Company locations here in Charlotte, but also our location in Greenville, South Carolina. Mm-hmm. And it's my job to really make sure that everything wine-related is up to the, the standard that we're, we're looking for, which means to over-deliver when it comes to wine-focused events, to really expand the options for what people can enjoy on-premise while paying the lowest possible price for them, a.k.a close to retail as possible. Yeah. So there's there's no real way to experience more different wines in the world than at a better price at Foxcroft, and that's been the model since the very beginning. Well, and for those who are unfamiliar with Foxcroft, this is a, a restaurant, a bar, a tasting opportunity, yes. a retail store, all right? Of, it's everything. All of the above. And it, and it really occupies a space that sort of the laws forgot because you typically think of restaurants as being separate from retail operations. And in most other parts of the country, that's exactly what has to be the case. Where I got most of my experience in New York City, you can't have a restaurant that also sells bottles out the door. Mm. Um, Why? It's, it's, What's the reasoning behind it, that? Well, after after Prohibition, every state sort of solved the the, the equation differently. They mm. all came up with with different interests in mind and different interests competing, they all came up with a different way. Okay, this is how alcohol is going to be controlled, served, and taxed and regulated in our state. So as you can imagine, Delaware is very different from North Carolina, which is very different from California. Is there a winery 
presence in that state? Is there a brewery presence in that state? Is there a liquor presence in that state? Every state solved the problem differently. And that's how, why we have this unbelievably complicated world that we have today. So in New York State, you cannot have what's called an on-premise and off-premise license coexist in the same place. So you can't have a retail store that also sells by the glass, and you can't have a restaurant that also sells full bottles. They are. Now, where does Harris Teeter selling me a glass of wine while I shop fall into this? Because that is just <laughs> the unfair. Best, the best. <laughs> I'm going to spend so much more money. So many boardroom decisions have gone into that very experience. It's like, how do we get you drinking more wine while you're shopping? How do we get here, Harris Teeter? <laughs> I'm really surprised that more of the shopping carts don't have actual holders for wine glasses. Well, it right. really, like, it really is. I do see them. I, I used to see yeah. them at Whole Foods all the time. And I bet the people who need them, they find them. It's yes. the little things by far. <laughs> Clean awesome. up on aisle three, four, and five. So, so you started in in New York, or at least yes. you came here from there. I, I moved to Charlotte in 2014. So we moved here, I remember it was April 1st, because it was the very first day when I started to work at Dean & DeLuca, ah, the now defunct company. That wait, which at, location? Well, at the at the location in Phillips Place. Which South is Park. Also in yeah. South Park. So I'm, I'm deeply rooted in South Park in a lot of ways, because actually all the places I've worked in Charlotte have been in South Park. Can I tell um, you why I loved that place so why? much? The cookie. No. The takeaways. Think about who we have in the building here. Uh, I loved going there and buying wine to sneak into the movie theater. (laughs) Before they started selling wine at movie theaters, uh, I actually did this with Jacob. Jacob and I would meet up. I think we watched uh, Coco. Yeah. Oh, so y'all cried. We cried all over each other. um, And it was largely (laughs) Dean and DeLuca's fault for plying us with There there was a reason why we stocked so many half bottles with screw tops. Uh, It was brilliant. It was No corkscrew required. You just like... (laughs) 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 <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> no, I, I remember that because there's there's the, the movie theater right there, and I'm, I was scratching my head like, why don't we have more half bottles? It's like, doesn't it seem like more people would be like, you know? I mean, I don't mind what you do with it. I mean, it right. makes a it's makes a movie business. more interesting. Yeah. Not, yeah, sold. So I, I I moved from my wife and I moved from New York City to Charlotte in 2014. I started working with Dean and DeLuca to um, run their um, their wine bar called the Wine Room, mm-hmm. and. Uh, Things happened the way that they did with that that company. Um, I won't go into all the details about it. From the outside perspective, all of a sudden, yeah. The the long well, because it was so established here, and it gave people the impression, oh, there's one of these things everywhere. But the reality was, there were only a very few cities in the in the whole world or the the country that had a Dean and DeLuca of that Mm -hmm. size, and that was one of the biggest best stores that you could go to. And Mm -hmm. you know, their long history, starting in New York in Soho. Broadway and uh, Prince Street, um, an area that I know pretty well, um, they really changed the way people eat and, and drank, and specifically products that had never been brought into the country before. So they were really instrumental in changing this food revolution in the late 70s and early 80s for moving away from you know, processed, anywhere-made food to locally driven and artisanal ingredients. Mm-hmm. So it was really important. It was a company I didn't realize at the time was at the tail end of their of their lifespan. If it was a star, it had already gone sort of supernova, and now yeah. it was sort of like shrinking it's a down. Beautiful and sad, really. <laughs> yeah, it's just like yeah, that's that's been dead for years. It, uh, it feels to me like you know having that experience with a place like Dean and Deluca would give you that perspective that where I'm moving next is going to have to be able to offer something similar, or that I can help shape to bring because now there's a gap. Exactly right. Well, it also told me, like, a lot of people, if they move from a large city and a really, like, bustling, busy metropolis, like Chicago or L.A. or San Francisco, or especially a place that has a wine culture, and they move to a place like Charlotte, the tendency might be to think, like, I'm going to bring something and show these people in this city one or two things. But 
the fact that Dina DeLuca was so well established here made me really take notice and say, I'm not necessarily going to tell you anything you don't already know. Mm -hmm. I might know different things or I might have, have experience in different kinds of wine, but I'm not here to change the way you drink. I'm here to share the things that you might not know are out there and available. And I was blown away by the number of wines that were available here um, that in other markets would have been snapped up by savvy sommeliers or, you know, retail buyers who were selling them across the country. So it was, it, was a, it was a real, you know, humbling experience to realize that there's already a great wine culture here. And what do I have to bring to it? It's not to tell people how to drink. It's to give them more options. Yeah. So wait, in 2014, yeah. if you weren't going to drink at work, what was the place that you went to that was like, this is a place God, I can it, hang. It's, it's, it's tricky because in 2014, we were expecting our second child. So oh, I, wasn't, no. I wasn't really not trying when to drink. your wife kicked you out of the house anywhere. for a minute, where did <laughs> Any, you go? Collect anywhere. yourself. It, it, was, it, it was really going to like Duckworth's and trying to have yeah, a beer. You know? Yeah. <laughs> because I also had never seen that many beers available in one place. That was awesome. Yeah. I was like, yeah. I'm going to uh, try some IPAs that I had not and had. And that in. was like relatively upscale bar food yeah. for me too. And I, I moved here in 2011 and was in my like mid twenties, so was not yet. I was certainly a wine fan, but was not yet yeah. at the place where I had the wallet to support any sort of yeah. uh, increasing um, endeavor. <laughs> and like way. like a lot of wine people, it's not that I you know oh okay, no I don't want to see another bottle of wine. I just I usually have a beer when I'm not yeah. having wine <laughs> when I'm not working. So well, and and this is just for our listeners who don't get to see the pre-show, but we typically. Meet over at Catawba with any guests that aren't familiar with where the uh, the Catawba lovely Brewing Company Catawba Brewing. Yeah, um, we're in the Queen City Podcast Network studio right now. Shout out to Taylor in the corner. Woo -woo. Um, but it, I, it's funny because it's certainly not a place where you can get any reputable glass of wine. But the Chardonnay is <laughs> and yet fine, and, yet, <laughs> and you can get it. And yet she persisted with the Chardonnay. And yet I persisted, but I'm I'm still. I, we talked about this earlier, like. I am just still sort of a baby when it comes to beer, and I never quite as much of it as there is here in Charlotte. I have enjoyed watching the progression of the breweries slowly start to yes. offer more of a diverse selection. And you made a good point of, you know, you can't go into a winery and ask for a beer, so why is yeah, that the expectation but here? But, um, but I think it's just changing the way that we are um, – I don't know. I, th I feel like in a lot of bars in Williamsburg when I lived in New York for one year, uh, it was like PBR or right. like, that's yeah. all you're going to get. And you're drinking, so. you know, there was a difference too in the culture shift of drinking to get drunk versus drinking for the experience with beer. Because for a long time, beer was a volume drink, you know, for tailgates and for parties mm. and stuff. And then yeah. it became a drink. And wine was the same, like cups oh, sure. of wine in the 70s, right? Like, you know, I mean, it's all, it's, they all go through their life cycle, but then, She you was know, born in 1945. That's correct. <laughs> you can tell by my uh, vocal practice I do. Um, and the snood she's wearing. <laughs> it's exactly right. Yes. Um, honestly, but, I think that's my, like, spirit year. Yeah. I know, so, yeah. The 70s? I, no, the 40s. Oh, cool. Yeah. Fair. I can yeah. see that. Yeah, I think I was going to be like a, like working on the like, oh, like, like an the operator? radio operator or something. I'm just, I'm like, like, hello? In, like in Mad Men? <laughs> yeah, like any, oh, well, no, yeah. I don't think I would be a secretary, but you I think almost, I would You know be... what it's not, and this is a total sidebar, but <laughs> I have to say it now. Tell me. You almost sound like, you know how um, if someone's like on TV and they have someone on the phone with them and you can just hear like the little voice? Yeah. Hello. 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 Telephone. That's you in the background. That's me. No, 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 no. Yeah. Make Taylor laugh. That's like a good day for me. That's all I need. He can't be disturbed. That's correct. Bottoms are dropping in. You go. 
poison. Anyway. Yeah, so, away from um, the talkies and back to the radio. We have been fortunate to welcome you from New York um, to Charlotte in 2014. Dean and DeLuca went by the wayside. Rest in peace. Yeah. Uh, how did you find your way from there? Well, after, um, actually, I had started talking with um, Laura Manick, who is a very top talent in the wine industry and a master sommelier. She had passed the Master Sommelier examination. Um, there's been a lot that's gone on with the Court of Master Sommeliers in the last couple of years, and I believe she has um, she has um, renounced the, the the title because of all the the issues. But Ooh, she, this is some drama I didn't this know. Is was yeah, uh, this is this. Well, this this goes way above. Also, my, it's a court. My, my pay. Yeah, it's a oh, court. Yeah, it's fancy. Court of no. Masters. Yeah. Anyway, those on the inside serious. know who the jester was um, and who the clown were. We'll leave it at that. But I'm excited to do some research. Yeah. Yeah. I am not qualified to comment on court this. Court of Master yeah. Sommelier drama. Yeah. Well, it's it has it has a it has a distinctly dark side to it because it really impacted the livelihoods and lives of a lot of, of mm. professionals, yeah. specifically um, female professionals who sure. should never have been put, been put in the positions that they were in. And it's, it's, been a, it's been a crisis of confidence for what should be the most reputable um, certification mm-hmm. organization for food and beverage uh, standards in the United States. And, but again, that's another story. So yeah. Laura had a, um, has, continues to have a, a very popular wine, uh, wine destination, wine bar in, in New York City called Cork, Cork Buzz. Buzz. Cork Buzz. Yes. I've done some classes with her online, yes. I so think, awesome. through the pandemic. And, and she uh, was going to, she opened a Cork Buzz here in, in Charlotte mm-hmm. through family connections. Um, um, her uncle, Frank, who is the, the, uh, one of the operations director behind the company also lives here. So she thought the time was right to open a cork buzz here. And I um, had been talking with her for better part of a year. Um, we had never actually worked together in New York City, but we had a lot of people in common. We're roughly about the same age. And she was just, you know, stratospherically more talented and and, and um, experienced than I was mm-hmm. having passed the, the Court of Master Sommelier's exam. And I became her general manager and wine buyer for Cork Buzz when we opened. And that went for about three years. And then they sort of went in a different direction, and I did as well. And that's how I ended up at, uh, at Foxcroft after that. And I think we did a tremendous amount of really great work there. It really it brought some of the best aspects mm-hmm. of Cork Buzz to Charlotte in a, in a way that, you know, had not really been done before. Um, but I think it was a good, you know, sort of parting of ways when it did. And, yeah. and that allowed me to to really start talking with Conrad, Conrad Hunter, the founder and current owner of, uh, the, the owner of Foxcraft Wine Company. Wow. And that was in 2017. So I did not know that you worked at Buzz. That yep. is fascinating. Uh, liked that place a lot. I think I went like pretty yeah. soon after they opened. Um, but it was definitely like an intimidating, because I, again, I was like relatively new. I'm yeah. Like, oh, and and we were really trying to work against that. And it was, it was one of those stumbling blocks that we never quite got there. We never yeah. quite got like, you know, the vibe being, you know, easy and, and casual because it was a little bit elevated and it was a mm-hmm. little, yeah. you know, intimidating. There was a wine list, a physical book of all these, you know, French, Spanish, Italian, German was names. It, was it ships passing in the night? Like was the city just not quite ready for it? Um, or did do we all need to kind of meet in the middle there? Yeah, I think I think it might have been just a little bit ahead yeah. um, in terms of the focus and in terms of the venue, mm-hmm. and you know we might have just bitten off a little bit more than yeah. was capable at the time. Sure. So, but it, it it was a very great it was a great experience. Mm-hmm. I think we did a lot of amazing work, and I met some unbelievably talented individuals. I'm happy to say that they're all on doing amazing things now as well, That's and I hope that their experience working with me at Cork Buzz is, is maybe a part of that. So cool, yeah. yeah. 
All right, so the heavy hitter. Yeah. Foxcroft. Fox now, before Croft. we get into Foxcroft, I think we should take a quick commercial Aww, break. Commercial I know I'm break. sorry, but we have to. I got to talk okay, to our sponsors. Fine. All we'll right. be right back. Okay. I promise. I miss you already. If you think or know you had COVID-19, you can be around others after 10 days since symptoms first appeared and after 24 hours with no fever without fever-reducing medication and after other symptoms have improved. If you have tested positive for COVID-19 and you had no symptoms, you can be around others 10 days after you got tested for COVID-19. To learn more, visit cdc.gov coronavirus. We're back. Welcome back. What's the sound? It's the vacuum again. Who keeps the, the, vacuuming at night? The timing tonight has Who just is been... Who this person? It's a little creepy. I'm not... Ha- uh, now they brought like a dog who's screaming? I don't understand. <laughs> oh, someone's getting murdered! The train whistles. Yeah. <laughs> That's the Foley, Foley class That's next exactly. Door. There's clogs going on wooden shoes. It's not normally this soundy in here, but uh, anyway, we're back I from guess. our commercial break. Um, but anyway, you, you had just started to tell us about Foxcroft and Conrad yes. and sort of how all of that got started. So Foxcroft Wine Company is an owner, operator, sole proprietorship. Fo- uh, Conrad Hunter is the sole owner of all the Foxcroft wow. stores. It is not a franchise. Some people think like, oh, there's one here, there's one there. It's Dilworth and South Park and Greenville. And like, they think it's a fran- It's not a franchise. It is. It, Conrad is a seventh generation Charlatan. Wow. He has oh, lived wow. here longer than anybody in my family has lived in the Western Hemisphere, his his family has been here in the Carolinas. So he is deeply rooted in Charlotte, and he created Foxcroft Wine Company uh, with a partner in 2004. Mm. Uh, the original South Park location that's still there on Fairview Road was opened in 2004, um, and they started serving food actually in 2006. So the first two years was a purely retail store. And often people are surprised to, see, to, to even know that we do serve food there, yeah. which is crazy from my perspective because I'm always organizing wine dinners. Uh. But 2006, they started serving food. Um, and 2015, the, the second location in Dilworth on East mm. Boulevard um, opened in the Kenilworth Shopping Center. And then 2018, we opened in Greenville, South Carolina, mm. and 2019 at Waverly. So it's actually the last undeveloped space in the Waverly complex. Wow. Now that looks like it's been there for it does. ever. But if you talk to people who are, you know, have been in Charlotte for a decade, they remember the fields. Uh, that yeah, were that there. place there was, was just empty. Nothing there. Yeah. What's rem- the best location? <gasps> the, whichever one I'm child. at, right? <laughs> I have to say that. Um, I could not. I could not possibly. There, there is something very different and very gratifying about working at each store because it's not just the things that are on the shelves or the people or you know, the food, but it is all those, but it's just, you know that when you reach for something, it's going to be there. Now, and, are, you, are you curating different selections for different locations in terms of like the wine selections and then thinking about the menus and so on? I do in collaboration with a wine buyer on the, mm-hmm. on the ground at each location. So any given time, that person is choosing the wines that are on the shelf on a daily basis. I will work in consultation with those wine buyers. Um, to make the decisions for what works for their clientele. Because if nothing else, every Foxcroft store in, should be and is really rooted in the community. 
So it should be a reflection of what people want to drink and enjoy in that community. And that also informs the decisions that we make about what wine dinners to do where, because some things just frankly work better in certain places than they do in others. And it's not like, you know, a better, more intelligent people here or there. It's just that we're playing to different audiences where, you know, if you take this show on the road, you might play it a little bit differently in Chicago than you do in Des Moines or, you know, they love being in Chattanooga. Yeah, so you know, I, where? yeah, exactly. Des Moines and Chattanooga. Chattanooga. Yeah. I was waiting for what you were going to say yeah. second. I, I'm just curious, though, with that in mind, are there things right off the top of your head that you notice that are different between some of the locations? Like, what do they do in Waverly that they do differently in Dilworth? Waverly is definitely number one for selling wine flights. Ooh, they oh, are what? head and show. They have more flights and they do more sales of the flights. It's just the servers and the managers. They all they enjoy the things that we can present in these combinations of flights. And Interesting. they just want to try more. They're like ready to to branch out. Maybe. Why do you think that is? What's what's the like demographics there that lead to that? I think that the clientele in Waverly is interested in branching out. Yeah. They know what they like. And sometimes they want to buy that, but they're really interested in trying a little bit lateral moves in sort of both directions. But in a safe way. In a safe way. without well, yeah. with, Something that I know, but maybe there's something right. just adjacent. Without necessarily committing to an entire bottle, yeah. which again is well-priced so that you don't have to pay more than you should. But yeah. a fl- flights are a way to go in like three different directions. You can say, well, I want to try this a little bit in a two-ounce pour. I want to try that in a little bit in a mm-hmm. two-ounce pour. And you've got three perspectives as opposed to just you know everybody committing to a new bottle. Another thing that I love that you guys do is wine by the glass that you could not normally get right. uh, at at many places. Some of the heavy hitters, and these are not like you know six dollar house wines, but it, again, if you're trying to try something new or you again know sort of generally what you like, or maybe a region or a, a winery or a producer that you really like, you have the opportunity to try those things without committing yeah. to the full bottle. What, what's the name of that device there? That- the, the the machines that we use, and we really could not do what we do without such a reliable piece of technology, is called a by-the-glass system. And there's a number it's of a different... simple names. Yeah, by-the-glass. It's like, <laughs> it's literally what it it's does. It's like a Coravin kind yeah. of thing, but on a larger scale. Yeah, yeah exactly. But it has, it has a number of taps that um, you open a bottle and you put it up in the tap and you pressurize it, and it pushes the air in the bottle out and replaces it with nitrogen. So the wine in the bottle is not degrading because it's not it's in not contact. It's not aging since the bottle's been opened. Exactly. It's not turning into vinegar. It's just staying Exactly. Wine. And it also dispenses a measured pour, which is exactly two ounces or it's exactly six ounces every single time, which allows us to do the number of things that we do by the glass and also have like really low variances. Mm-hmm. So yeah. variance for, for people um, in beverage, they, they know that that's one of those, you know, bugbears at the end of each month. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, well, how much does it say we're supposed to have? How much do we really have? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Why is that? Like, that's the question that every person who does inventory, it's like, why is there a difference, a disconnect between what the computer says we ought to have versus what we have? And yeah. that, and people's careers can be made or ba- made or broken on that. It's, it's like, measured. you know. Yeah. Well, and I, it's been more than one occasion that I've gone to a place that probably doesn't turn a whole lot of bottles and you, yeah. you know, the yeah. bottles You don't turn open. the bottles, the bottles will turn themselves. Exactly. Like, so I would imagine that that type of system just... It just helps you control that inventory and the spend that you're doing. Absolutely. And, and there's no reason, there's no excuse for people not getting the best representation of that wine. If we believe in that wine mm. and we believe in the people behind that wine and the history and the culture and the roots, literal and figurative mm. for that wine, why would we possibly want to present it in a way that wasn't the best? Yeah. We, I'm not going to serve you a mediocre wine just because it's something for you to buy. Like I would rather, I would rather not serve it at all than have something 
that's not the best. And that be. pride yeah. is reflected in every single person who works at a Foxcroft location because we have been to multiple locations. Yes. And again, you're talking about like, you know, fairly new in your beer journey, whereas I'm a mewling kitten blind and deaf and can't do anything with any alcohol. And here I come waltzing in being like, I don't know what I want. And then they're like, well, tell me a little bit more. And, you know, luckily I have Jen usually there to like coach me and be like, yeah. Things here. You're learning the language yes, slowly. Getting there. So, yeah, you've mm-hmm. got some buzzwords you know how to pop out. But everyone who works there is always so keen to to listen and, and hear from you. Like as soon as they see that you're even a little insecure, they immediately put you at ease and, yeah. and just ask you questions and say, Let me let me let you try a couple things. And then the way that they talk, they have so much passion behind it. They do have the history and the knowledge about those types of wines because there's pride. Yeah. Um, you know, they know the work that goes into sourcing these things and, and they want to share that with the community. And I love that. There, there's just no world in which it makes any sense for us not to show how enthusiastic we are about these wines, but also to, to, to meet you more than halfway. Mm-hmm. Because there's plenty of places that people can still go and feel uncomfortable and intimidated. Like, the wines we serve, they're from, they're in French, they're in Italian, they're in German, they're in Portuguese, they're in Greek. Like all of these different languages are not just, you know, second nature. Mm-hmm. They, they have strange names from strange places and strange grapes that are not as easy to pronounce as Chardonnay, Cabernet, Pinot, or, you know, right. the like. So that's a, it's a lot to bite off. It's a lot to try to digest. And we, we really, we want it to be fun at the end of the day, enjoyable, learn what you want to learn. And if you just want to Drink and enjoy. We, we we're not going to test you at the end of the day. Yeah. So. Speaking of which, speaking of which, speaking of unless you want to be situations with wines that we can't pronounce. Um, Abby and I had the distinct pleasure of attending one of the many wine dinners that you guys put on. Yes. Uh, are these so? Before we get into the details of the one that we got to attend, maybe tell us a little bit about sort of the cadence and the the process that you go through of creating these, not just the wine menus, but also the pairings that yep, you guys absolutely. do. Absolutely. So we, we really, and when I started five years ago, this was something that I kind of jumped into immediately. I remember the first wine dinner that I did, which was an all Brunello dinner um, in the sort of middle of 2017. Um, but for me, I saw a, a huge amount of potential to expand and really cultivate this venue of the wine dinner as something that could not only expose people to a brand new area or a producer or just you had the option for getting much more in depth Mm -hmm. with a region or a producer or even a grape um, than you could possibly explore in a regular evening. And since we had a dedicated menu that everyone is going to get, it makes it very easy for us to offer more than you think you might ever get at a wine dinner. Our, Our wine dinners are typically eight wines. So two wines per course Ooh. and four courses of food. It's, it's not, a, not not a light no, drinking No, skip night. lunch. <laughs> or, you know, get make sure that Uber is on like, exactly. the homepage yes. of your, of your <laughs> yes. phone, like the very front page. Um, but we, we, we serve responsibly, but we serve generously. Mm-hmm. And we want, this is not a tasting. What These, these dinners are not tastings. Right. These are drinkings. That's an important distinction. Yes. Yep. It's a different kind of gerund a different kind of verb yeah and it's 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 also a a different vibe you know this this is an inclusive experience where you are sharing with everyone else in the room kind of a similar you're being coursed out the meal at the same time you're tasting the same wines at the same time you are listening to a backdrop of information about the wine that you're tasting so that you have something to think about as well and discuss with your peers so it, it is a collective experience. Absolutely. I also like Loki love when you ask whose favorite was the first one or the second yes. one. And then like <laughs> the differences. Choosing, choosing your alliances. Yeah, we become. How are we married like, to each other? It's like you like the different wine than I did. Um, 
yeah, we there's there's a little bit of education at the beginning, and there's a, a a through line of education throughout the entire evening. Whatever the focus is, if the focus is you know a particular grape variety explored in you know the like we did an all Grenache wine dinner. Cool. So I did I did the speaking for that evening. We did Grenache from Spain, from the United States, from the south of France, from Sardinia. You know, explored how this grape speaks differently depending on where it's grown and what it sort speaks of Spanish culture. In Spain. Yeah, it does. It's in Spain. It's Garnacha. Garnacha. <laughs> and in France, it's Grenache. And you know, both countries like to claim that in it's America, their it's Greenwich. Yeah, <laughs> it's in <Greenwich>. Connecticut. Um, <laughs> exactly. It's like Macon or Macon. <laughs> Um, macaron. Macaron. <laughs> <laughs> so we, 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 there's this through line of, of as much education as you want to get out of the experience. And the best, my favorite wine dinners are the ones where we have either the winemaker or the owner of the company or the winery with us because they have the best stories. They can tell you, you know, what's funny about that wine is, you know how late I was up the night before with, you know, <laughs> yeah. so-and-so who was here and we got a late start to the harvest and it was good. So they have the best story. Yeah. So whenever we have a winemaker who can, who can, who has literally given birth to every single one of these wines, um, has seen them from not existing to the form they're in now in a very different place in the world. Um, those are the best experiences. Cause then I just step back and say, there's nothing I can add. I have nothing to add. Like when we had Dr. Nancy Ireland, who's the, um, winemaker at Redtail Ridge, in uh, the Finger Lakes of New York, I just said, you know, I'm not going to talk anymore. I have not introduce you, and <laughs> yeah. then I back. I know I, I used to live in the state of New York, but <laughs> like I have nothing to add. That's like the, she has, she has seen these wines go from infant grapes to fully ripe grapes to fully made wine, and now she here she is talking about them in, a, in an entirely different part of the country. Yeah. So I can't add to that. That's so. awesome. <laughs> well, there's something to be said for knowing sort of when. <laughs> Yeah, just <laughs> when, when to take the lead, when to fade into the back. And, you know, speaking of that, um, our wine dinner um, was led by you, which was fantastic because we got a little bit of the history and, and your connection to the, the food and also the wine that we were about to enjoy. And then we had a comically wonderful <laughs> Italian um, uh, it's the, almost so the, like central casting was like, hey, we got a guy. Right. We got like, a guy. Yeah. He can totally fit the bill. <laughs> this stereotypical Italian man, just that's the guy that you think. He's in like, I don't even know. There's, like but there's different brands, stereotypical but Italian men. But this was not Chef Boyardee. No, this is, say that. this is walking off a private jet. He's looking, got like yeah. patent leather type thing. I don't, yeah. Anyway. This is more Capri than Staten Island. Correct. <laughs> you said something about the winemakers literally giving birth to these wines. And I think this guy may have gotten many of the women pregnant in this. That's place. right. So, that, that, that's the way uh, to describe They it. just walked out not knowing what happened, but perfectly happy about it. <laughs> there was an ambient level of charm. That was <laughs> really rather, rather exuding. It was a really great. <laughs> an ambient level of charm. That's lovely. Anyway, so it was the Huerto Martini wine dinner yes. um, in July. And, and we were fortunate to experience it. And I have to say thank you for putting us exactly where you did at the very corner of the bar that was leading to where you all were setting the wines that you were pouring mm -hmm. and where the food was coming out of the kitchen. And I think my favorite part of the entire experience was getting to listen to the staff communicating with one another. Because there was a certain level of of energy and there was like almost like being back of house or back backstage during a theater production yeah. there yeah. was like some hushed voices some of some of them were a little terse but there was a lot of passion behind it you could tell that the weight 
and and the the importance of the evening going well was present and and that was for everybody that was back of how I gave myself chills talking about yeah. it that's how serious it was from the woman who was at the bar serving us when we got there to the the lady who was brand new and saying this is my first she was being coached on how exactly to pour mm-hmm. the wine to make sure that they're even and how to hold the labels out and it was just such a behind the scenes look for us because I've been to those to the wine dinners before at most of the locations all of them actually and they're always a slam dunk but this was an experience that I had not had before I'm so, I'm so glad that you were able to you were oriented oriented to notice those kind of things and and that's really the the fulfilling gratifying part of it is that a wine dinner ought to be the easiest service that anyone does because all the planning has been done on the mm-hmm. front end so the wines have been chosen for months the, the food has been chosen for weeks the glassware has been there for days. You know, all these things, it's it's the, the classic mise en place. Like you put mm-hmm. things in place, everything in its Same. place, so that when you reach for it, it's there. And, you know, there, 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 shouldn't be, there shouldn't be any question about how the night is going to flow. It's simply going to be the most fun most people have their entire week, we hope. Yeah, I, I can confirm that for sure. <laughs> and it's, it's such a great place, too, because it's an opportunity if you want to kind of dress up a little bit and have a kind of luxurious evening, you absolutely can. If you want to come rolling in with like your juicy sweatpants, I think that's fine too. I mean, tell (laughs) me if I'm wrong. You're not wrong. You know, know, everybody is welcome. And again, everybody gets that shared experience, but come as you are. I really love that about Foxcroft because it can... It can be intimidating, I think, when you walk in until you realize that everyone here is going to make you feel comfortable yeah. and like your family and you're, you're welcome. Yeah. And I, I think if there were one, th- if there's one thing that Conrad Hunter as a, as a proprietor and as a business owner and as sort of like a, a, a CEO has done for wine in Charlotte is really remove barriers and make it much more egalitarian because it really has to be. There's, there's no other way where it makes any sense. There, you cannot make wine more elitist. It right. doesn't make any sense. It, it's had that for a long time. It's like it's really time to change that hat. Like wine, breaking down barriers between, and that is reflected in how we build our stores as well. You can physically go up to any bottle in the store and take it off the shelf. It is yours to look at. It is yours to consume. Um, there are no physical or you know societal barriers where we're concerned between you and enjoying wine. If you want to try half of the things that we have by the glass, we'll talk you through all of them. Um, if you want to try something without knowing what it is, we will serve you a, a, a wine blind and, and we'll talk you through that too if you want to. You <laughs> I love that game. Get off on that. Like as, as many of us do, do. It's like, I love it. Like, um, so removing barriers and barriers of entry to enjoying wine has to be always one of the most important things for us to do at Foxcroft. Well, the cadence of the dinners is so nice too because it's not like you're going and getting inundated with story and information and even the cadence of the the meal itself is really well timed because oh, yeah. you know Abby and I like to go and hang out and you know we live a little bit further apart these days than we did at one point in time yeah. so it's nice for us to be able to catch up as well but then every so often someone would drop by and give us some wine and then the microphone would queue up and we would hear from you about what the next course was going to be what the wines were we would hear some striking Italian accent <laughs> and everybody would start <laughs> drooling uh, but the cadence itself was really conducive to the folks who are there to really learn something and who are just knee deep in increasing their own knowledge. Maybe they're toying around with the idea of doing some of the sommelier testing or somebody who has no idea what's going on and is just there and they're like, two reds, sweet. I like both of them. Uh, This duck breast is also fantastic. Exactly. At the end of the day, we have to be really, really respectful of this is one part of everyone's. This might be the, the high point of our week, but it's a part of everyone else's week. And, you know, no one wants to stay out until 
one o'clock in the morning at a wind dinner. Like our, our usual arc for these is we start by seven fifteen and we're done by about nine thirty. And that's why Fox dropped his my favorite wind dinner place. <laughs> Everyone's got a bedtime, you and know. Mine is when the sun goes down. It's <laughs> yeah, rough. The winters are hard. We're working on it. Yeah, we're working on it. It's not not going well. But so Abby, for you, and again, you know, you alluded that. You are, you're just in your infancy here in the wine stage here. You love tiny baby. But maybe highlight for us from, I I know that, I won't name names, but I have gone to a lot of these in the past and I have been trying to get Abby on board with this Mm -hmm. because it's something that I love doing because it's a great pairing of all of the things that I love about wine and then food and then the places that I love to go. Um, And Abby not being a huge wine drinker has, has not really found the value in going to things like this. There was one other wine dinner, not at Foxcroft, I will say nothing else, that I made her attend. And it was... You didn't make me. We wanted to go together. It was not a good representation of what, of exactly what I was just talking about, where there is at least some education and and explanation and understanding of how these wines were chosen and why and what we're eating with it. And I was missing that. And, And it... The food and wine were both underwhelming. Right. I don't know if it was because of that, but but there was just some element of expectation there that, and I, yeah, I've been to others at not Foxcroft that have been great and have had that similar balance mm-hmm. that um, I think this one missed the mark. So this was a little bit of a redemption for us. Um, I think the first one we went to is at Waverly. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember, I think that's where we, we handed you that's our business card. card. Yes. Yeah. Would have been back in was... March. I believe that was the. Let me think. It, it was an, was It was incredible. a geographic one. Right, and it wasn't um, all. It was South America. South America. South America. South America. South America. South Argentina. Argentina. And Chile. Chile. Yes. Yes. Right. yes. There yeah. we go. We did it. We got there eventually. And I was going to say, and I, this probably would have gotten you there. Is one of the things that that was mentioned in during the service was. One of the wines that we were being served was a red that had one of the coolest cases that you've oh, ever yeah. seen. Oh, and yeah. That's how, and From we Katana. were like, can we see yeah. that? And you brought it out. And we we're just like, yeah, that's super cool. Yeah, that was um, that was a, a hell of a night. Like the, 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 some of those wines we were able to serve for that evening from from uh, Catena and um, from Cloapalta, they were phenomenal world-class wines that we n- almost never get to open. Mm-hmm. And it was really thanks to... Um, David Faulkner, who was the the gentleman from Winebow Imports, who was able to do the dinner with us, um, was actually going to do some more dinners with us too, and he's going to do an Australia New Zealand wine dinner we'll coming up. This. Yeah, I later on in the fall, um, we got him locked in for a couple of dates. But yeah, we, and actually, we had never done. I just realized we had never done Australia and um, never done Argentina and Chile together in the same dinner before. We had done all Argentina. But it was cool to be able to incorporate Chile because, like, you know, in some people's, they have very different histories when it comes to the, what, mm-hmm. why they grow what they grow and how they fit in people's minds right now for, for wine. And Chile was kind of much further ahead than Argentina was for a long time, definitely in, in, in the UK uh, wine game. And they, they were faster on the scene in sort of like the 80s than Argentina was, but they're just, it's a study in contrast. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, two sides of the Andes, you have amazingly different worlds. For wine, so that's one of the. Whenever you can find some theme or something to connect things together, you can build a dinner around it. So yeah. it's just that difference between two sides of the Andes that was so great. Did How? you recognize the name that he just dropped? Laura Catena. There we it met. is. Laura Catena. <laughs> yeah, we were yeah. Doctor Laura Catena. Yeah, she's so cool. Yeah, she's one so of, and her amazing beret. I love one of the great 
assets and treasures in the entire world of wine, Great. I'd say. So awesome. Yes. We had a surprise mm-hmm. at part of uh, Charlotte Food and Wine. The Wine and Food Festival. Wine and Food yes. Festival. Mm-hmm. Yes. I can't, yes. I always mess it up. When we went, and Jen, this is Brad oh Worthy. Yeah. So we went to a, a wine, um, you know, experience. It was a, t- that like was, a blind tasting. It was like a blind tasting. Oh. And it was going to be kind of like a um, test, basically, to guess all of the, you know, criteria that they were listing. Is it this wine or that wine? And guess who got a 100% perfect score? Agended. Wow. You won. It was amazing. And the, one of the one of the final wines I had was a Catena wine. And then it just happened to turn around and there's Dr. Lara like, Catena. Oh, well, who better to tell us about them than... <gasps> Ta-da! It was super fun. I so up. cool. Yeah, it was fantastic. I started doing those, the online wine classes yes. during COVID. And, and Lara Catena did one um, that I think Jeff and I did together. Mm-hmm. But it, I got used to seeing her on my TV screen or my, you know, computer with her fun red beret. But it was fun to see her in person. Would you call it a raspberry beret? <gasps> no. No. I would say it was more of a Pinot Noir. <laughs> oh! <laughs> yeah. That's pretty red. It was, it was bad. It was it's a bad joke, but I day. had to do it. Anyway. Anyway. Um, October. Uh, yeah. yeah. October, there's some good ones on the So it starts off right um, on the 5th of October with Riley Keenan. Who is the grandson of uh, Robert Keenan, who founded Keenan Vineyards on Spring Mountain um, in, I believe, 1978? So this is a this is a winery that's not just like you know doing new things. Like it's been around for yeah. a long time, and they are one of the quintessential Napa classics when it comes to defining this area of of the Spring Mountain district. So that's at Waverly on October the fifth. Um, then on the next week on the twelfth, an all Burgundy wine dinner. With our good friend Steve Pignatello, who runs a company called Pecoms International. They exclusively import wines, uh, top family estates from Burgundy, and, and like two champagnes. Mm. And he has been a, a friend of Foxcroft for a very, very long time. We will always sell his wines wherever there's a Foxcroft. And just not a better person to present this really... If you had to choose one region that was as complicated and as Frenchy French as possible, it's like Burgundy <laughs> is French. like, you know, you think you know what you're talking about, but it's not that way. What if and I like, don't think I know what I'm talking about? <laughs> you you're going to be surprised anyway. <laughs> you will suddenly be leading the discussion. I can't wait. Um, no, Burgundy is notoriously difficult because it, it has this hierarchy of is it a vineyard? Is it a, a village? Is it... You know, a good producer, a mediocre producer. It's it's so specific and dependent. Yeah. It's like yes, but yes, but only if. It's it's a very complicated region because so there's like so many vineyards. Someone's grandma making hooch in the mm-hmm. backyard vineyard. Yeah, like, well, it's not too far. And I mean, <laughs> ha- familial vineyards all had to start somewhere. They yes. did. Having lived in Burgundy and and been around people in Burgundy, they're very much like people from New England. They're very kind of, oh, okay. kind of quiet and they don't <laughs> say much, but they'll let you know when you're like. Full of shit. Locking up. There's <laughs> um, time and a place. So right. Burgundy is one of my favorite regions to talk about because it's just there's no end to it. It is endlessly fascinating, and it is also very simple. We're just talking about Chardonnay and Pinot Noir, right? Yeah. But we're talking about vineyards separated by a few yards that might be, you know, totally different in terms of how they express this grape, and hundreds, if not thousands, of dollars in different price. And none of the bottles will say. Chardonnay or Pinot Noir. They will not. Right. Good might. luck. Yeah. Isn't that, yeah. Isn't that Santenay that I like from Burgundy? Yes. Yeah. Santenay is a great yeah. yeah. That's like one of my favorite wines right now. Santenay is a great intro to red Burgundy, especially because it's no, it's known for being low tannin, soft and very light and very sort of like yeah. aromatic and fruity. So Santenay, Volnay and the Cote de Bone, 
uh, a village called Marcenay. Those are all sort of of the same style, but yeah, Santenay is a Add them to your list. Look at that. I'm so excited. Santenay is tricky because it can also be red or white. The white is the one that I had that okay. I enjoyed so much. It's the 18th Coquerel, um at Dilworth. And then, um, yeah, so those are the three that are coming up in October. So it's, it's a great lineup. You can try an American classic. One of the most complicated wine regions in, in, in France and taste things all the way up to the Grand Cru level. Ooh. And then a new American classic in the Coquerels, both family and then Burgundy, which is really all about families and vineyards. Do you know anything about the menus yet or are those still in production? Those are still in, in the works right okay. now because okay. you know, the wines have been solidified for, for two of them. We're still working on the Burgundy ones, but when that's done, it's going to be, it's really called the Grand Burgundy Tasting. So are you going to nitpick the hell out of it? Are you just, you, because yeah. you're so obsessed? No, no, but that's the thing is that, is that Chef Chris is like French trained. So he's got Ooh. this, he's got this like wealth of, of French classical experience um, behind him that I'm not going to second guess. Is there going to be foie? Choices. Will there be foie on the menu? I don't, I don't know. There <laughs> might be. <laughs> Possibly not. Text us. You have our number. <laughs> Is that a deal breaker or a deal maker? Uh, a deal maker for deal sure. Maker. Okay. I have no shame. Oh, you better believe we've got more of our conversation with Sean Paul of Foxcroft Wine Company in our next episode. But in the meantime, do go and check out some of those wine dinners. They are amazing. You should not miss out. We'll see you next time on Amused Boosh. queencitypodcastnetwork.com.